James Welton is an Irish entrepreneur, programmer, and co-founder of Coderojo, a network of free computer coding clubs for children, which reaches hundreds of thousands of young people in over 110 countries across the globe. James has built a wide array of software products, served as CTO for several e-commerce and technology companies, along with being a venture capital advisor. James taught himself coding as a child and spent his teens building software and hacking. And at the age of 18, he founded Coderojo along with entrepreneur Bill Liao while heading up his school's computer club in Cork, Ireland. Now, having just turned 30 years old, James is currently focused on building Conjure, a next generation behavior change and achievements platform to help people achieve outcomes important to them, identify and build habits conducive to life satisfaction and help them become who they want to become. So, um, James Alden, welcome to the Life Lab and thanks for being here. It's great to see you. It's been a long time. Good to see you too, Siobhan. It's been, a, it's been an age. It's been an age. Um, so we've spoken a little bit about the Life Lab and the premise of it and everything. And I thought we could start off with you telling um, everyone how you got into coding as a little kid in Ireland, which was quite unusual at the time, and how you that ended up leading you to found Coder Dojo. Yeah. So I think I made my first website when I was around nine or ten years old. Um, and the precursor to, was, to it was that we had this PC at home. I loved playing with it, um, exploring it. And I started making little animations in Microsoft Paint. And then I figured out that if you open them in like Windows Movie Maker and put a bunch of these uh, images together made in Microsoft Paint, you could then animate them. Um, and this purely came from just spending time on the computer playing around. Uh, and the next step was I wanted to show people at school these animations. Mm. Um, and I don't know where it came from, but the the obvious solution was to like put them on a on a website. Um, so I got a book in I think it was like Eason's Bookstore in Patrick Street in Cork, not the <laughs> exact like a uh, uh, tech uh, hub. Um, on uh, I got this book on HTML and started following it on like building a website and adding like heading text or paragraph text and images. And I would like, I by no means was like a wunderkind. Like I, I always thought that it was odd that I stayed after school for a little bit to get extra classes on maths and like spelling and stuff. So I was a little bit oblivious to my current uh, education status at that age. And I, I, I didn't like also like tear through the book. Um, it took me like a few weeks to embed an image because I didn't figure out it had to be like in a directory relative to the web page and stuff. But okay. um, it was a, a self-taught uh, process, albeit quite slow. Um, and I think from there, I just I fell in love with the idea that you could you could code something uh, and, and bring it to life, make something real. And then in terms of the Internet, that anybody in the world could see it. I, I could make this website and put it online and somebody in like Japan or someone in America could see it. There definitely was nobody in those countries looking at my <laughs> 10 year old. <laughs> Not web then. Pages, uh, <laughs> but I, I like to believe uh, I was also going to go to Hogwarts, but uh, that didn't pan out. Um, <laughs> you would have been great in Hogwarts, James. Thank you. I think so, too. Yes. Uh, um, but that's uh, that kind of began me on this this path of, um, I don't know, th this real passion for, for computers and building things. And that kind of naturally led me to creating games or like being interested in hacking and, and how you got into things and like really exploring that landscape. Um, and that was... I think there was a large part of my identity through the teens. Um, like, uh, I, I found it kind of quite challenging because I wasn't 
particularly academic or particularly sporty. I did skateboarding and some other stuff, but a lot of these um, outlets for kind of, let's say, recognition and, and uh, socializing in, in secondary school, there wasn't one there for coding. Um, so it's it surprising like a, to me that you weren't academic. I, my perception of you, like knowing you and working with you before, is that you were, would have been super academic. Oh no, I'm 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 really good at putting up appearances. <laughs> you really uh, are. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, I I think that um, the, the the whole not academic thing, I I uh, had like a little bit of a, a a false narrative around in my like late teens and early twenties because I I kind of thought that like oh I'm not good at remembering stuff or that um I can't sit down and study so I kind of have to like try and think my way around the the problem or solution or sidestep it. Um, but the more that I, I learned about how my attention and, and, and focus works and, and motivation, um, the more I learned around systems of like uh, applying that or that sometimes it is just going to suck and you're going to have to like sit there and memorize something, but take breaks. So, and what was um, your motivation at that age? I mean, cause you were still so young. Yeah. I, I think that it was, um, just like that, that very quick feedback loop of like you code something, be it a website or a game or something, and you see some progress, you get a little hit of dopamine, and then you keep on going, and it's super academic, or sorry, it, it's super, uh, uh, super like fast paced um, versus the academic thing, which is like, okay, well, if I learn this paragraph about static mites and static types in <laughs> geography, like maybe my parents aren't going to scream at me when some of the results come out. I think uh, everyone in Ireland had to learn about stalagmites <laughs> and stalactites. It was just like, um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, there's, um, so I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, later on in life, I learned more about my, my learning style and then how I could learn and, and kind of challenge maybe some of these false narratives that I built up. But, um, yeah, I was, uh, I just, I wasn't super engaged in, uh, in secondary school and that was very frustrating that I could go home and build these sites and do these things I was really proud about. But kind of then also be, uh, yeah, like failing past maths and uh, kind of like beating myself uh, up a bit. And, and, and I'm just not. Yeah. And, and like going home, you're saying you're going home and doing all that stuff. Were people back then, I mean, obviously that's super advanced for a kid that age to be doing that stuff in, you know, despite what was happening academically in school, were people. Do you think people knew then, oh, wow, this kid is, is you know, a bit exceptional or, you know, is doing something really cool? Or were people just like, oh, they didn't understand? I, th I think it was the opposite. I think when, um, so so Coderojo started because I, I was running this um, coding club in, in my secondary school. Um, and the way that that came to be was that I, I got like some... Uh, I, I was the first to find an exploit for a particular version of the iPod Nano, and I got my 15 minutes of internet fame on like Apple Blogs. And you did. People might, yeah, it's still, and, and people, it's still there on the internet, haunting <laughs> you forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, people in my school were like, well, if that idiot Welton can program, surely we can. So they went up to me and they were like, yeah, how do we do this or how do you make games? Um, so I, I, I like to think that I made it accessible for people. Uh, I was the, the lowest common denominator. Um, so the, yeah, I, I, I think that. Um, yeah, maybe back then there was like you people were maybe like my parents a little bit were kind of conflating was like was like consuming or creating. Um, and I think particularly now is we uh, like people have a better understanding of like, oh, is there's a big difference between, let's say, maybe uh, playing a game on a computer versus like building a website or even like making mods for that game or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't think that there was that uh, that understanding back then. Um, 
which was which was challenging like i my like my parents used to take like the ethernet cable from like the uh <laughs> the router when they would leave to try and make me study and of course like, i have a few backups so like i'd watch the car go like leave and then i go take Find a new it. one and plug it in um or go to like internet cafes in between like supervised study in school with like the usb stick and like working websites then um so yeah, but, but that, that was a very like frustrating thing that the disconnect between those two worlds as a young person. And then so you started an after school club. How did that come about and what age were you when you started? Because that's, you know, that's very uh, kind of leadership -y type action to do that, to set up an after school club for kids. How did yeah, how I, did it come about? Yeah, the um, how it came about was in, in my final year of secondary school, sixth year, I uh, uh won a prize at this like website making contest um and at that at that event i also won like a pink ipod nano it was like the first ipod nano with the touchscreen um and i just like messed around with it and, and I, I was able to get it to do some things that it normally shouldn't do or couldn't do um and just posted that online and that got picked up and it was a bit there was a bit of like exceptionalism to the headline like first thing what i Probably it wasn't like that impressive. It was cool, but it, it wasn't anything compared to like the guys who were like jailbreaking and unlocking the iPhone. But they were like, oh, schoolboy hacks Apple iPod all this kind of way. So uh, I um, got my uh, my 15 minutes and then uh, that kind of made word around school that I'd, I'd, I'd kind of won this this competition. But also this um, uh, this thing had happened and people came up to me and were like, oh, well, yeah, if you uh, if uh, and again, my reputation, like academic wise, was not great in school. I once fell asleep in my English class and woke up in the next uh, period's English class because <laughs> oh the God. teachers thought it was so funny that I slept through the bell. Uh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they were like, well, if that guy can code like then. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I put together a, um, uh, a group. It was about maybe 40 students twice a week after school in our school's computer room. We were extremely fortunate to have like a computer room and um, those kind of things. And um, I had some exposure to like computer science at, at third level. I, I dropped in on some um, lectures in the local university and I always wasn't a fan of um, like how the first like application you'd build would be like a mortgage calculator or something that, that I couldn't relate to. Mm. Um, so when we started um, running these sessions after school and, and in fairness, there was like actually one or two other people in my school who were interested and kind of played around separately, but didn't necessarily, um, hadn't known about each other or connected. So we started like, you know, running sessions on how to make a website and try and like do it really quickly in the first hour where you have like text and images and embed like a Google map or something. And then we teach you how to, um, you know, if you want to do something more like, I don't know, embed a YouTube video where like, okay, well, this is how you Google it. This is how you, you figure out how to do it for yourself, self-teach. Mm -hmm. Or if we made a game, we'd, you know, make these games and have a competition who could make like the worst game and show that off at the end. So try to make it, very removed Fun. from the classroom environment um engaging and so that, that was um that was basically how it, how it came to be and, and the biggest thing was just to was to have fun after school and um like there was no there was no grand ambition that you know mm. we, we, i'm going to educate the youth or trying to like start this revolution it's like uh you know, this, this is something I like. This is something important to me. Um, and I have fun doing this and others will too. So, But then not? you did start a revolution because Coder Dojo <laughs> teaches hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids, right? Across 110 countries in the world. I assure you, it, it is totally unexpected. Uh, that was, um, it was a real, um, yeah, it, it, it was really surprising. There was a, 
there was there was no grand ambition to do something like that or kind of you know careful market analysis no. like well you know we're at this inflection point and we get these young people uh these economic opportunities and we make some vcs very rich or something um the uh fucking later <laughs> i'm kidding i'm joking uh, the um yeah the what happened was uh, people from other schools started hearing about our club and like started seeing what what their friends were making uh, via like websites or apps or games and they reached out to me and they're like hey we'd like to join this club or you know how could we do one of these in our school um and then at the same time you know i was approaching at the end of my my secondary school career uh if you can call it that train wreck <laughs> maybe is a is another uh is, you know um so the people in my club were like well you know is, what's going to happen next year how's it going to run what are we going to do during the summer we've got these three months um and around the same time i i um was invited to speak at a, a tech conference in ireland um web summit about you know my, my 15 minutes of internet fame around this uh, ipod stuff so that event i met somebody who had been a an entrepreneur investor who was based in in corp with a technology background bill and bill well i bill had also been a coder growing up and that's had, bill yeah you know, right yeah yeah bill, yeah and he he identified with kind of um yeah many of the things i was talking about about like not having that place in school or this kind of sense of identity um but uh outside of let's say maybe the passion aspect of it um he had seen that there was a like a real demand for for programmers and, and uh, software developers um and that you know this, this in many ways was the great equaler uh, equalizer that you could be um it really didn't matter what background you came from if you spent the time and got good with coding or, or had an aptitude for it there was endless uh, opportunities mm -hmm. um so he um like we spent time together we talked about how could we run one of these clubs just just to see what happens outside of school um i i was definitely uh a little bit uh less optimistic than him he was like you know we could probably get someone to give us space for free you know we'll have it all volunteers keep all money out of it and i was like really is somebody gonna give us like space for free um so we uh we decided to to go ahead and i think it was maybe two weeks after i finished the leaving so we, we ran the first one of these these clubs mm -hmm. with very low expectations we just said we're gonna take it out of out of my school put it here we're gonna open it up to people um and just see what happens um see if anyone comes along and then soon people started coming from dublin which is maybe like a two and a half three hour drive away yeah. um people really identified with with um what we were trying to do and, and the ethos and wanted to start their own clubs and it just kind of spiraled out of control from there no it spiraled very much in control, in control. Somewhat. <laughs> That's a, um, did you stay involved then i mean was that something that you focused on after after you finished the leaving cert which is the final exam in ireland for students before they go to university did you did you keep going or did yeah, you just was, kind of like you were the founder and then you kind of went on your way yeah this, this was um 2011 so while doing kudarojo and, and as that kind of matured and evolved and spread as a as a movement uh i also had like a ill-fated social media monitoring startup which was kind of very much so in vogue i think if it, if, if it's like ai now a year ago is crypto then 2011 is definitely social media um was the trend so i i had this like idea of like oh i could do this like non-profit thing and, and that's really good and then i'll also do like a startup um and i was very highly influenced by i guess like seeing silicon valley culture from abroad and you know they, they put those kind of uh uh young founder types on pedestals and, mm. like the social network had come out and it was all very 
attractive. Um, and I think maybe a few months into into those both going concurrently, um, it was very clear that that Kodorojo was was making impact and, and was significant to a lot of young people. Um, it was clear that the social media startup, uh, media, social media monitoring startup, absolutely was not that. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a heuristic you can use about um, is something pushing you or pulling you. Mm. So uh, they they say like like building a, a startup or a product, uh, it can be like pushing a boulder uphill. Um, and the real test is, does it uh, get to a point where it's like the, the boulder is running downhill and you have to chase after it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that's a pretty good way of identifying if something has, has traction and impact. Um, so yeah, Kodorojo was definitely going downhill and uh, the social media monitoring startup boulder was kind of rolling back on top of me almost. Uh, so I said, yeah, I, I think it was uh, going to be a shame not to uh, pursue Kodorojo to, to its fullest and, and really push that and uh, see how many people we could reach and, and um, how much impact we could make. So for the next three years, I uh, focused on um, Kodorojo, started the Kodorojo Foundation, built a team around that and tried to um, build a, a structure to promote the spread uh, and running of Kodorojo in, in different countries. And now you're you're involved just you're a co-founder and you attend events and things, but you're not as much involved in it anymore. Pretty, pretty much. I like I go to parties. I'm like, hey, remember me? <laughs> uh, that has been 10 years on. Um, I'm the reason you're all here today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no. uh, the uh, yeah. it, it, If anything, traditionally, I was considered more the liability than the founder of Rojo, I think. But what, uh, what, is, what is it like? I mean, you're thir- you, you just turned 30 this year, right? What is it like achieving that kind of success at such a young age? I mean, it, it's very unusual. So what is it, what's your take on it now that you've, you can look back on it a bit? Yeah, it, it's um, like success feels like a strange term. And, and I suppose it, it depends in, in which like domain do we want to look at it. If we, if we say um, that I had like some level of exposure and impact on others, then there's maybe a little bit, ill-prepared for that so um i think when you're in a a, a leadership position um he, yeah people are looking to you for leadership people want your time people do put you on a bit of a pedestal and like i went through the kind of motions of like i became a forbes 30 under 30 at yeah. 19 i kind of got this accolade was in this local newspaper or whatever um and uh concurrent to that i i really didn't know how to look after myself like i, I was still growing as a young person. I, I, I didn't go to college. A lot of people during college, um, that's, that's a time for them to develop as a person. Your, your brain is still forming. You're learning how to like eat the appropriate amount of calories each day <laughs> at the right times, get the right amount of sleep or, or not sleep in a lot of, uh, college cases. So I didn't, I didn't really have that. And then also I think, um, if you are, uh, a leader in some capacity or people depend on you, you're, you're almost like an athlete and that you need to look after your performance. You need to be well-centered um, for, for the sake of yourself and others. Um, so it ultimately happened after three years of, of growing and the foundation is, is that I, I burnt out um, that I kind of got to this place where the, the foundation and organization aspect needed somebody who could define success, could define metrics, mm-hmm. um, could define, you know, this cadence of, of, monthly, quarterly, annual objectives, let people, if they're being successful or not successful. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these kind of organizational governance skills that I, I didn't have, um, and frankly, probably wasn't in a in the right state to learn because I was so spread thin. And I also developed um, a couple of neuroses probably around 
you know, like, what if I look stupid? What if I, um, you know, uh, make a mistake and that somehow like whatever about me, but that it affects the children and they stop coming to Kodoroji or all these volunteers, I disappoint them. Do you think that so was because you're under so much pressure at such a young age that this was it's natural to kind of have some impact on your mental health when, like you said, people were looking at you for leadership and you were only like in your early 20s. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I definitely do think that that was a uh, a factor of youth, and 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 some people like I've seen young founders who who grow with that fantastic, and and that they um, they have like the the right mechanisms for for coping with that or keeping that in check. Mm-hmm. I think with with me, which was totally normal, was that I was just uh, in many ways so so afraid of making mistakes or disappointing people um, that I you know I was often paralyzed by this, or like some days be like, well, if I just you know, I've got this big thing to do. Maybe if I just don't get out of bed, then I won't have to do it. Or I kind of look stupid if I don't make the decision. Um, and I, I was fortunate that I did have a lot of good mentors around me and that um, towards the end of the three years, I, I had a colleague who was like, I don't know what's going on with you, but you need to see someone. You need to see a therapist. She gave me the details of a therapist, which I'm incredibly grateful for because it allowed me to work through a lot of this stuff. Um, and uh, I think you... Yeah, you, you, when you're like, if we if we talk about a human and your evolutionary wiring, you're, you're kind of wired to want to gain more success or gain more status. You normalize a lot of these things. So I, I also thought that I had to keep on pushing myself, um, which can be your your undoing. You you kind of get this uh, reinforced lesson that uh, if you're successful and you receive praise or love, then I'm only worthy of 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 love and praise and acceptance if I continue to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I, I think that can put you in quite a, um, yeah, perilous place, um, which uh, yeah, so at, at the kind of the end of, of the three years of, of uh, Cody Rogers as CEOs, the, the foundation, we, we hired in a, a wonderful new CEO um, who had, she was hugely experienced and, and was the right person for role who could grow that organization. Um, and then I went away and decided to identify my gaps and try and work on them. Um, and the other thing that was very clear to me was that um, a large part of like, again, like success, uh, quote unquote, is being in the right place at the right time. So it just so happened that like I was graduating secondary school um, when the interest in programming uh, mm. was was hitting like a new peak. There mm-hmm. was a social network, like computer clubs or coding clubs weren't new. They were, they were kind of prevalent in the 70s. Um, I was very fortunate that I grew up in a house that had a PC and I had access to um and that I, I, I was able to spend uh, time on whether or not my parents knew it. Um, so yeah. there was a a large part of, of that success was made up by, by circumstance. And I, I spent time in my 20s trying to like decompile that and be like, okay, well, if I didn't have that, circum- like that, that circumstance, how could I be successful again or do something in a new domain? So um, yeah, there, there was a, there was a, a good degree of, 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 of kind of like that success early 20s being like, how the hell did I end up here? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's really, a really great message, though, that you're sharing about the therapy and working on yourself and like addressing, um, you know, situations when they get out of hand and you're not you need support for your mental health, um, especially for young people, but for everyone, really, um, because I think a lot of people, it's still quite nascent. I know people talk about mental health a lot, but even, you know, just working on yourself and then because it's, it's very hard to do that. You know, it takes a lot of work and I mean, it's so rewarding if you do it, but I think it's great that you're able to share that with people because it's um, 
it just destigmatizes it, you know, that that everyone should probably get therapy. I mean, everyone has probably some kind of trauma, whether it was might not have been a big a big event that happened, but it could have been prolonged or they grew up in an environment where, you know, it was um, there was a lot of uncertainty and it was unpredictable mm-hmm. and it it does come out in different ways. So I think it's really a great thing to share and talk about. Um, but it seems like you did a lot of work then on yourself after that in your twen- in your mid 20s, right? Yeah. yeah, and I, I think with the, with the therapy thing, it, it's um, it, it's all um, it's all relative to the person. Um, there's like this saying that the, the worst thing that has happened to you is the worst thing that's happened to you, um, and that that could be like, oh, like boohoo, I'm in this leadership position and I don't want to disappoint people. Yeah. To like, I had a horrifically unstable childhood and now I have all these behaviors um, mm-hmm. that are, are a result of it, and, and I um need to know how to navigate them so i, th- I think it's it's all relative mm. and um For sure. therapy and yeah in in one part it is um it's important to try and understand them and get a handle of them but then also build up your your resilience um about like well explore like what if you did disappoint them what if you did look stupid here what is the the outcome what if you um explore the the thing that you're you're so afraid about um that's really so powerful yeah, exploring the thing that you're afraid of that's yeah, I, I think uh, I think they're important uh, mental exercise. And th- there's definitely for me, there's a, a very clear point in my life where I was maybe taking things as, as they came and, and responding to stimuli in, in just my natural fashion. Um, and then the point after was like, well, why do I think this way? Uh, is there merit to it? Or is it because I was raised with these type of values or this is kind of an evolutionary response to to not want to look stupid and, and face rejection that's maybe a little bit miswired in me. Um, let's, uh, there's a Viktor Frankl quote ah. um, that goes, yeah, between stimulus and response lies freedom. And, the, and the, the wider you can make that gap, the more you, you control you have over your reality. I actually um, have that quote written down on my diary to read every day. So I'm so glad that you mentioned thing, that. Yeah. It's such a good I'm just trying to crow, crowbar that, that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that gap message. between uh, reality and response. Wow. <laughs> or stimulus it, and response. It's really powerful. Yeah. And, and so um, now that you've, you could, you're looking back and you've done all this work, what, what do you think success means to you now? Having yeah, yeah. come through all of that and all the experiences that you had, what does success think, mean to you as 30 I mean, year old James? The, the wonderful thing about success is that it's a ever changing goalpost um, and that it's quite subjective. So I think at different times it, it's meant different things. Like, um, like in the context of building an app, like success at one point is like just getting the app uh, live. The second step is getting someone to use it. The third step is getting 100 people to use it. The, the, the fourth step is getting people to pay for it and so on and so forth. Um, and then success at, at other times for me has, has gone from, let's say, I, I want to create as much impact as possible and that's great, but then I've also been like, uh, like poor or haven't had the resources that I wanted to do the things in my life. Um, there's a an expression that goes that the, the things that... Um, uh, gain you status don't make you money the things that make you money don't gain you status so you can i I flip-flop between those um i I think that the definition i'm currently working on for success is that it's uh spending the time doing what you want where you want when you want with whom you want that's um um, naval right yeah yeah and that is that is that is actually pretty easy to achieve i've I've achieved that in like 50 dollars so uh there's definitely a more uh economic uh uh, approach to my previous definitions of success, success. 
Um, but there's, there's like a few other components of it. So I, I used to previously uh, have my, my definition or locus of success be external. So it was dependent on, uh, like with, with Coder Ojo, it was following the, uh, the, the journey, growing this thing, impact young people. Then I kind of went, I went from socialism to capitalism where I um, tried to build companies and make money and want to buy my mom a Tesla. And, you know, I, I no longer wanted to be the charity guy who could only like take donations and spend other people's money to, to making money. And that that uh, definition of success was definitely external. It was how I was viewed in the eyes of others. It was how much money I had, which was in large part controlled by by others as well and their decision making. Um, and I, I've kind of wrapped around to this place of um, letting the activity be the reward. That even if you don't get the outcome, that the, the the process, the journey was rewarding in and of itself, which kind of has reframed what I go after and and uh, what I do. Um, so yeah, I think the on the success front, uh, while I, I do want to have high impact and high reach with the things I'm doing right now, it's most important is doing the work and in process and enjoying that. And then irrespective of if that's like externally successful or not, if I do that correctly each day, then I go to bed happy. That's what that's really cool. And what what do you think you're I mean, obviously, Coder Coderojo is amazing. It's like phenomenal. It's a global phenomenon and helped so many people and so many young people. But what what's your proudest achievement to date? Do you think is it finding that, or or there other, is it more personal and sort of subjective? Yeah, there's a. I mean, if, if we want to say like the proudest, mm. um, it it's totally not um, business or organizational. Um, it's there was a at one point um, <clears throat> uh, a few years ago that I found myself in a in a very uh, difficult circumstance um that i was not enjoying life i was not enjoying the, the construct of it uh, i was pretty miserable even to the extent where i was some days like afraid to go out in the balcony because i didn't want invasive thoughts like mm-hmm. uh just generally not not enjoying my existence at that point um and i was able to extract myself from that situation um and reconfigure my reality um, and that marked a, a huge turning point in, in my life around the things that I do, my, my values, my, my direction. Um, and I think the, the reason that that's my proudest moment is that in, in one part, it's I was able to identify and remove myself from that situation. And it's, it's not always how you get yourself into a situation. It's, it's mm-hmm. what you do about it or how you get yourself out of it. But also in, in seeing how dramatically I, I changed my reality at that time, then it's totally possible that I do that again. And mm-hmm. I, that gives me optimism for for my future. That um, uh, that if needs be, or if I, I find myself in a similar sticky place, I can I can make such a dramatic shift and, and make things better again. So you can turn things around and and elicit, I guess, a lot of wisdom from from those really challenging situations that you yeah. can leverage. And if not, then I'll just like post the Instagram photos as if <laughs> as if everything's great. <laughs> 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 do some selfies um and so on that vein so you've had quite a journey in those 10 years right i mean it's really a lot it's it's very condensed and there's a lot of learnings and wisdom what what would you what piece of advice from that would you share um the most valuable piece of advice that you have for young people who are starting out in their careers looking to be successful and and have their own achievements um I think that I think that there's like a, a bunch of things that I um, I find useful, and again, it, it depends. Is it on the um, aspect of, of how you're going through the 
the career um like i uh i used to be very afraid of like uh, looking stupid or making mistakes and then in, in turn i realized that um for me at least like one out of five things that i i do works so there's a degree of having to fail your way to success or, or normalizing failing even removing the term failing and uh relabeling it as experiments um and i think with that if you're uh if you make making mistakes uh, che- uh, cheap to make and you can move fast instead of slow then and most importantly course correct when you have new information then um you open yourself up to, to way more opportunity um so move I think the, so make mistakes what did you say that again so if you're uh there's been so many like um times i've been faced with a decision i have to make and i don't know if it's the right decision or not i don't have the experience and yeah, you, you talk to people, most things that you do have been done before, but ultimately you have to make that decision or make that choice. Um, and if you, if you make, um, uh, if you make making the wrong decision cheap to make that you can be like a week into that decision be like, no, this actually isn't working out. Now that I have more data, I'm just going to course correct and change course. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can, you can move fast and make a lot of opportunities and not be paralyzed by that, that, uh, that decision paralysis. Um, and I think you do that through managing your own expectations, being like, I am going to fail. I'm going to fail one out of five times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only that fifth time that it's going to be successful. So I need to get through these other four times as quickly as possible. And you can manage the expectations of others and be like, with with the information that I have and with this like decision-making process, this is what I think we should do. But if that's wrong, which is very possible, um, we'll course correct. Um, and I, I think you see this in... Uh, in how pe- products are developed, people, you know, don't really know if a feature is going to be successful until they uh, they get out into the uh, into into the public. You you might have like a internally you might you might have like a, a bias or, or distortion bubble. So only until you get out there do you know if it's going to be successful or not. Um, you see this in uh, you, you see this in like even like stand up comedy. Like a lot of comedians like bombing is the only yeah. way for them to get good and refined material because what you think might be funny or the context that you have mentally, the audience might not have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you have theories that you put out there and you have to, you have to prove these. Um, and, and stand up comedy is, is one of the only places that you can, you, you, you can only do that publicly. You have to publicly fail. So you have to make that as you have to make failing as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, be able to, to course correct as, as quickly as possible. And you, and you have to, uh, you have to, it's difficult, but you have to depower that that uh, that sense of failure. So yeah. I, I think again, evolutionary wise, we're afraid of uh, uh, looking, stupid. looking stupid. Yeah, yeah, we're afraid of uh, we're afraid of um, uh, many yeah many things. Um, we uh, and, and I, I think that most people live their lives that way. I think that there's like another expression that like um, in uh, in in action. Uh, uh, like inaction ended more dreams uh, than failure ever did, or, or that's something. That's so true. That. Yeah, that is um, so true. So, like, th- there's another, I guess, like important learning that I have is, um, have had, which is like, like we we all die someday. Um, that uh, I had a again a, a, a few years ago had a pretty um, uh, pretty significant health scare, which the like initial information we got back was like pretty pretty bleak. Um, so it was like a forcing function to kind of reevaluate things. Um, and, uh, like fortunately it, it all came to pass. It was, it was, it's fine. It could happen again. Um, you, you never know. Um, but 
I think when you frame things that we're going to die, that like you realize that people are so concerned only with themselves. Like if you do something stupid, yeah, they might remember it for that day, but they're probably not going to remember it in a week from now, a month from now. If in a year's time they hold that against you, then they're probably not somebody you want to interact with, that they have like a very limited mindset that they don't see that failure and making mistakes is, is the route to growth. Um, I think that you also have to realize that uh, probably on, on your deathbed, it, it, the things you don't do is what you're going to regret. And again, whether you're successful or not is, is irrespective. To some degree, you can't control if you're you can't control if you're successful or not. But you can control if you tried. Mm -hmm. um, at least with me, like while I still have hopes and ambitions and things I'd like to do, if they don't come to pass, I'd rather be on my deathbed and know that at least I tried my best. Um, and that's that's probably in some respects like the same as of having succeeded or not. Yeah, that's like a, that's a goosebump moment there. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. That's really, really powerful. Honestly, um, there, there's some kind of quote. I can't remember where I read it, but it was maybe from a poem or something. And the, the, the person is saying that they heard this whisper all through their life to live, live, live and try, try, try. And the whisper was coming from death because, you know, at mm. the end of the day, like you said, we're, we could we don't know how long we're all going to be here for some people. It's shorter than others. And um, it's just, yeah, kind of remembering that every day and just like not caring about what other people think and doing what your heart desires or the things that the dreams that you have in your head, just giving them a try. Yeah, I, there's another quote that I like, which um, I think is Confucius, which is, uh, we have two lives. Um, and the second one begins when we realize that we have only one. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, like an important thing in, in my soul searching part was um, was uh, reading um, reading about stoicism. Um, and and there, there's two two phrases, uh, stoic phrases I really like. The first one is Amor Fati, which is love um. fate. The, uh, if... Uh, yeah, not not. I, I think it's like Nietzsche that says like not merely to to bear it, but to to embrace it. Um, and the second one is momentum mori, which is remember death. And that that could be if you're, you know, maybe you're you're with your family and one of your parents is annoying you, or you're being uncomfortable, or there's, there's some minor frustration, and then you realize that like this moment will pass, mm. you, you won't get this again. Um, like someday you'll probably be hopefully old and infirm and less mobile and, and will have wanted to be able to be in this position again to in like experience this, this friction or whatever it is um so i i think when yeah now when you know I, I i do something stupid and i cringe or something i i uh i keep those in mind and I, that's also why i'm a lot more like confident about this podcast because like one day i'm gonna die you're gonna die who's yeah who cares gonna die. yeah, yeah. Like, five billion years the sun is gonna burn out so exactly. it's all good it's so true. You're for a good time, not a long time. Exactly. <laughs> well. No, it's so true. It's so true. Uh, did you ever read um, Cheryl Strayed, the author? No. She she's um, she wrote that book uh, with Reese Witherspoon about the girl that walks the Appalachian Way by herself. Um, and she's you know you know the guy that wrote Fight Club, Chuck. I can never say his second name. Yeah. Yeah. He always he talks about her um, about her work. She's a great writer, but she wrote this in one of her books about her mom dying you know and um you know the fights that she would have with her mom sometimes like when they went shopping or something like that and uh then you know after her mom died she was writing in the book about you know like kind of what she wouldn't give to spend even one more afternoon with her mom and you know mm -hmm. before her mom died um they were in this shop one day and they see this little 
dress and she didn't have kids at the time Cheryl Strayed but um and the, she was sort of admiring this dress and her mom was like for a little kid you know for like a baby and her mom was saying I'll buy it for you and she was like that's so stupid why would you buy me a baby's dress I don't even have a baby and her mom bought it for her anyway and then when her mom had passed away and she did have a baby she realized like her mom had bought this dress for her first baby like the first piece of clothing and it just always stuck with me, not, you know, obviously with my parents, but, you know, even with friends and things, because like sometimes you really miss your friends and maybe when you're hanging out with them, they annoy you or your mom, or, and, you know, you have an argument and you just remember if you remember really quickly one day, you'll really wish that you could probably be spending that time with them. It just changes the energy and the perspective and how you have that experience with them. So I think that's a really I, good I message. I, I don't think you need to. I, th I think in in mindfulness it's called clinging or, or grasping but you, you also don't necessarily need to live in fear of like oh th this is gonna go away someday or mm. or uh um but accept it and recognize yeah. it, that it's it's a part of the uh of life and of life and the life cycle and i i think with, with human connections also as, as you move through um at least again like this is this is 30 years so this is relative relatively a, a small uh sample set of, of time but you um you have different people who are important at different times in life mm -hmm. um and that they, you you can be meaningful to somebody for it or they can be meaningful to you for that period of life but then you ultimately move on and um there'll be somebody else who's now meaningful at that different stage um so part of that is to em embrace that that journey I, I think that there's an analogy to like a, a flower that that blooms and then withers and it, it's not good it's not bad it just is what about um tell us about conjure and how you started to develop conjure which is quite an apt segue into you know oh, making yeah. <laughs> the most out of your life and getting achieving the things that you want to achieve so it's a new thing that Just, you start well it, it you started a couple of years ago right yeah but about two years ago um and that's been a it's been an interesting journey thus far um i think for for context as, as to what it is or why it exists um i think yeah a, a few years ago as a uh, blatantly alluded to, uh, I went through some highs and lows mm -hmm. in my twenties and, and periods of like wild instability and shifting values. Um, and I, I got pretty interested by the the question of like, how can we be systematic about our happiness or subjective well-being and life satisfaction? What does that mean? What are the things that make that up? Um, and I tried to identify behaviors and systems that do this. Um, understand what our, our portfolio of joy in life is. Is that health, social contribution, growth significance? Um, and then also, how do we get feedback loops about the opportunities and risks in our, in our life? Um, and also knowing what's going good. So there's been times when I haven't spent a lot of time socializing. I've been too focused on work. I felt alienated. And then I would uh, feel sad and misattribute that sad. Obviously, it's not it's it's my lack of success or lack of work progress. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, there's been times where uh, I've probably gotten a little bit too too comfy uh, and gone on a, on a go slow. And then I, I've kind of beat myself up for not having like a, uh, a rate of achievement or be like, oh, if I only I just started this a year ago or like imagine where I'd be now. Um, so as I learned more about this this space and, and researched, I also looked at the state of systems out there. That well, if you if you do have a system to um, help your 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 well being and life satisfaction, um, you know, yeah, what exists out there? So um, I, I started getting uh, I started like coming up with, with questions like why is there nothing out there that detects when I've left 
my home and at what time, and that acts as a proxy for sunlight exposure, which affects your sleep and circadian rhythm, which affects your your uh, well-being or mood. Um, you know, why is there no automation that uses data from these different sources to like automatically compete when I've run 5k or hit 10,000 steps, mm-hmm. um, to like, you know, what does a product look like that has, that's real time that has all these keyboard shortcuts. If there's an API, what would other people build on top of it that, that I can't fathom with the, the context or experience that I have. So, um, yeah, I, I set out on this journey to build a, uh, system that helped me with my style of intentional living. I think everybody's different, uh, but there's a lot of people who look like you, um, particularly in Ireland, because we're not genetically diverse. A lot of people who look like me. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people oh, that look like us. Uh, there's only yeah. four, four or five million of them, though, <laughs> compared uh, yeah, to the rest of them. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you on a podcast with your brother, Siobhan? Uh, <laughs> <that's>, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I, I thought that uh, I wanted to build something that was meaningful to me. And, and I think we talked previously about the, the, the locus of success, either being external or, or uh, internal. Um, and I had this, this rule as I was kind of going through a, a year of soul searching or researching, being like, well, what am I going to, what am I willing to work on for up to two years with no external success? Um, and that if that, that fails or monetarily, let's say, um, then I won't consider it a failure because I'll, I've learned a lot in an area that I'm interested in. I can take those learnings with me and it's something that I'll continue to use. Um, and, and really this, uh, this kind of journey before destination type mentality. Um, so yeah, I was, I, I thought that spending two years to build a system that would help me be systematic about my well-being and life satisfaction was relatively good investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I also knew uh, I, I managed my expectations because there's plenty of like goal apps out there, habit apps, plenty of these systems, there's a lot of eBooks you can buy off sketchy Instagram ads, all this kind of way. Um, so I knew that in one part, there'd have to be a lot of research and experimentation that I was probably going to you know, spend several weeks building something, then use it for a few months and realize how close I was to actually if a provider of value or not, or build something that met my needs. I put it out there in the world. I attract other people who, who think that it might suit them and then get their feedback. Um, and uh, I knew that that was going to take a lot of time. So it was probably going to be a lot of laboring away privately, which, which was true. Um, I think it was uh, six months of, of building it before I let another person use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was maybe a year before the first paying customer um, be, and, and they, they'd, they'd been using it for like a few months at that point. I, I was waiting until I, I could prove if I was giving someone value and that they'd be happy to use it. Um, so there's, there was definitely a lot of, uh, like I, I track all the time I, I put in. So now over two years I've, I've, uh, passed, uh, 4,000 hours of development of the platform. Um, amazing. so the, uh, so I, I was kind of a little bit anti-startup. Like there's a lot of people like, well, you know, we'll build this thing in a weekend. If by my month three, it hasn't got like, you know, a million dollar valuation, then it is a complete failure or something. Oh, that's where... so bad to, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm so glad you didn't think like that around it. Maybe, maybe ask 25 year old James, he might have, he would uh, have been like, your, <laughs> forget about this. No. Yeah, exactly. If it's not on the blockchain, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the, uh, no, I, I think, you know, people have different things that they're optimizing for. And, um, I think if you're optimizing for, um, uh, a financial outcome, you know, that that's one set of parameters that you apply to your mm-hmm. decision-making and how you go about it. Uh, whereas for me, I was, I was optimizing for value creation for myself, which mm-hmm. looks quite different. Um, and then I've kind of broadened that scope a little bit, um, to, to 
creating value for for others in, in this particular respect but um like i i did it solo um because i didn't uh i didn't want to take on a a co-founder because in one part there was something selfish that i, I had something in my head that i wanted to get out i also didn't know if this thing was going to be successful so i didn't want to fill beholden to someone else mm-hmm. um i didn't raise money um because i can't see a situation that i i exit i, I read a uh, the Patagonia founders book, uh, Yvonne Chouinard. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I really identified with, with their, uh, uh the, the book is called, uh, let my people surf, I believe. And I, I really, um, identified with, with their kind of, uh, I guess the, their story of how it was founded and, and what they optimized for and want to see in the world. Um, so I knew that it was going to be a, a slightly different journey. And, and again, like if it doesn't pan out still, then I'm, I have people who use it daily. I have, Paying customers, I have people who've built on top of the the API. Have um, you know people who you know have it open all day mm-hmm. and, and it's quite meaningful to them and, and a passionate community. But even if that still falls apart, it's it's not being a waste because I've I've grown a lot throughout this process. So I can't lose. No, you definitely can't lose. Yeah, I'm like the human Bitcoin as if it didn't <laughs> crash. You know, it's like a. <laughs> And you're you're bouncing around all over the place. You're living in Japan. You're living back in Ireland. You were in Australia. It it seems like you're in a really good place with with Conjure. And you know, I mean, even the fact that you're developing it with that mindset, it's like it's obviously all that energy is going into it. And it's it seems like it can't be, but bring but bring value to the people that are going to use it and that are going to help them use it to be the people they want to become. Yeah, I think um, I mean on the on the energy and, and travel fund. I, I for me, I, I have these um, uh, exploration periods and then these exploitation periods, um, and it's, it's kind of similar how agents in, in AI work. They spend a bunch of time. If you give it like a game to play, it, find, it spends a bunch of time, like eighty uh, percent of its its time exploring new ways to complete the objective and to like. Uh, finish the game and, and will fail a lot. And then when it, it starts predictably getting a result, it'll switch to 80%. Uh, it'll switch from exploration mode to exploitation mode, which 80% of the time is just doing the same outcome, getting the result. But 20% of the time, it will try something new and see if it can make any, like, improvement. you know, yeah, nominal improvement. Um, so it, with, uh, I guess, how I've been living my life for the last uh, two years, I, I have these exploration or exploration modes where I go out and spend time with friends and it could be Austin, Texas. It could be in, in, in Tokyo, Japan, um, or other places and kind of, uh, yeah, really live and socialize and have a good time. Still keep work, still keep discipline, still keep my daily habits and, and move the needle every day. Um, I think with Conjure, I've, I've worked on it every day uh, in a row for the last 704 days. I've tracked in it. So no zero days. Even, even my like most off days, I have a rule where I have to track at least one minute of work for the habit to complete. And then that's like success. So I, you, you have to almost like a, uh, you know, uh, investment strategy. You have to like factor some some failure and risk into into the model. Um, and then I have these exploitation modes where like, for example, this summer, I just spent like three months heads down coding as much as possible, trying to move the needle, take all the things I thought about and, and get them out. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been the, 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 the shift of between those two worlds at life uh, in my life at the moment, which will, again, will probably change with the next, uh, next phase of life. Yeah. And I'm sure it will. I mean, it's, it's all about evolving and um, conjures on the, it's on the app store, right. And it's on, um, you can get it on the Google play store as well. Right. 
you can uh, yeah you can find a conjure at uh, conjure.so um, or if you just google conjure habits or conjure goals you'll okay. find out everything about That's it cool. and just um i just wanted to ask you before we finish up which just flew by that whole hour like can you believe it james <laughs> we've been talking i could feel like i could talk to you now for another two hours um but just uh, i think it would be helpful because you're mentioning all these quotes and and sort of um you know the stoicism and things that uh, it really helps a lot of people what were some of the one or a book or one movie that really impacted your life that you could share the most I, you know I, I think the most impactful book was um meditations by marcus, marcus Aurelius. Aurelius. Yeah. yeah so he was a uh, emperor of rome um almost two two thousand uh, years ago um and then meditations was a is actually his journal that he kept that he didn't think would be made uh uh public public consumption yeah so jokes on him two thousand <laughs> years later uh, but the uh but i i also had to be in the right place in life to to read it so maybe if i read it at 1819 it, it wouldn't have uh, resonated. resonated but yeah after i'd kind of gone through um adversity had collected a lot of varying data points in life and at highs and lows um it really spoke to me and i think the biggest takeaway was that um all the problems that he has of if he's doing a good job bad job what people think about him if it matters what people think about him um how can he not give in to temptation temptation mm. or um the fact that he has to be disciplined when motivation is failing all these things um you you identify with them so much and you realize that they're that they're everlasting mm. um and uh, he comes up with with remedies and solutions for them so it, it's definitely been uh it was, I, I read it at the right time in life and mm. I'm, I'm very thankful that I did. It's a wonderful book and I, I think it's something that you can read again and again and learn mm. more, uh, get more insights and learnings from it every time you read it. I think it's a great gift to give people. I give it to people a lot, like at Christmas or for their birthdays. What about any movies just last? Oh, we gonna... mentioned it and I, I really, I don't know if this is the note that we want to end on. Okay, but <laughs> I, uh, Yeah, I, I, I feel like there should be a bunch of caveats and I know how it's going to be taken, but whatever uh again sun's gonna uh implode in five billion years so who cares um but fight club i i oh watched that God. as a i watched that as a as a as a uh as a i guess it was a teenager i read the book also but um it uh yeah the, the message of the the movie was that there's like this default path that people follow and, and they often follow it out of fear and they, they get dragged into someone else's reality um and for me that that movie was about now, whether you want to do that with uh, explosives or building apps, uh, <laughs> you, 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 build, you can build your own reality um, and uh, you can identify that this, uh, yeah, this default path that's set up around you. Um, doesn't have to be like that. Exactly. So that was a, uh, that was a, a film that um, yeah, had a lot of, uh, had, had an impact on me and, and probably made me uh, open my eyes a little bit to, you know, the, the values and thought processes around me and you know, were they there for good reason or, or did people kind of um, inherit them and adopt them and, and did I identify with them? Well, James, thank you so much for your time today. I, like, honestly, really, really appreciate it. And it's been absolutely wonderful to, to speak to you. Um, I wish we had more time because maybe we can do this again in like a year or something after yeah. and see where you are next this time next year because you seem to be packing a lot in 
learning a lot. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, it could all go wrong. I could be eating my words. Okay, listen, <laughs> do not listen to anything that I said a year ago. I, I retract it all. It's all part, you know, it's like you said, when you go through these moments and then it's all part of the journey, right? And trying to, to take the best of it and keep moving on. Mm -hmm. So it's to just enjoy, right? Exactly. And okay. have fun in the process. And have fun in the process. Yeah. Okay. James, thank you. Really, really appreciate it. So.